0: I was thinking earlier how interesting it is that we celebrate Independence Day, which we should, but we also celebrate being completely dependent upon Almighty God. Amen? And that's why we're here this morning, yeah, we're here this morning to declare our dependence upon God. Let's pray together. Father, we love you so much, we thank you God that we can come together like this and we can seek your face. We can worship your name. We can get into the word and to hear what you have to say to us. And we bow our knee to you, God. We bow our, our hearts. We open our hearts and our minds to you. We, we ask you to help us take captive any thoughts that are contrary to your word and, and, and to just absolutely be filled with you, to be renewed and transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. We love you. Father, and we dedicate this time, we're committed to you, and we dedicate this time, Father, to seek you. We love you so much, in Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, well, I bring greetings from Pastor Derek and Rachel, they miss you guys, they love you, and they'll be back, guess what, the last week of July, they'll be back here. Yeah, praise God, come on, I can't wait, it's going to be great. Um. We've been studying in the book of Hebrews, right? A cloud of Witnesses. And I, I want to give a little bit of background to this book very quickly. <clears throat> Excuse me. The first 10 chapters of Hebrews is an encouragement to Jewish followers and to us, the followers of Christ who were being persecuted at that time for their beliefs. And, uh, These persecutions were not only coming from outside of of their nation or of their people, but it was coming from within. There were people that were persecuting them because of their belief in Christ, and they were saying that it wasn't by Christ alone that they could come to God, but rather they had to embrace all of these other religious trappings, and they had to do all of this stuff to be acceptable to God. And so what we see in Hebrews is the author encouraging them, no, it's by Christ alone that you're saved. It's it's by a relationship with Christ that that you come and you are acceptable to God, forgiven the righteousness of Christ um, totally poured out on your life. So these believers, these Hebrews were being faced with discomfort and humiliation a loss of property, and even the threat of losing their lives. And so Hebrews was an encouragement to them to not give in to that, to not lose faith, but rather to keep the faith in God. And so then by the time we come to chapter 11, what the author was doing is he was saying, look at these examples of Old Testament saints. Look at these examples of people that believed God, and God always came through. And out of the 17 people that are discussed in chapter 11, 17 witnesses, if you will, that were called to the courtroom of life, their testimony testifying to all of us, we've looked at six of them so far. We've looked at uh, Joseph and Joshua. We've looked at Gideon and Samson. We've looked at Abraham and Noah. And each one of them has a specific thing that that they believed God for and that God did on their behalf, right? So let's look at a couple of these. Joseph believed that everything in his life, even what the enemy meant for evil, would be used by God for his good. He so believed that God would deliver his people and deliver on his promise that he said, don't bury my remains. Instead, keep my bones and take them to the promised land. Joshua believed God when God said, you know what? You march around this city, Jericho, and supernaturally I will cause the walls to fall. And Joshua was willing for his people to be put in a vulnerable and possibly humiliating place. And God totally did what he said he would do. And the walls miraculously fell. Gideon, God told him to fight an army of 130,000 men with a measly little group of 300 ragtag soldiers. And Gideon already felt insignificant. Remember, he thought he wasn't good enough. He felt insignificant. And yet, because God said to do it, Gideon believed and God totally delivered. And there was a huge supernatural victory. Samson, made supernaturally strong by God, even after his moral failure and defeat, he was empowered by God to defeat the Philistines. Abraham, you guys remember, he was called to leave his his father's house and to go a place where God didn't tell him where he was going. He was called to go out and do that and that God would give him a son to his barren wife. And Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. What about Noah? Noah believed that when God told him that a judgment was coming on a wicked humanity and that he should build a gigantic boat. Noah believed him, even though it meant that he was ostracized, even though it meant that he was alienated by his community. Noah believed God and God saved his family. So we've learned some things about faith as we've been studying this. A few facts. Number one, the definition. Hebrews 11 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That means that Faith is our conviction that God will do what he says he will do, even though we can't see the way or even imagine the process. And that's what faith is. It's believing that God can do the impossible. And of course, we don't understand it. If we understood it, it wouldn't be the impossible. Right? But God knows and he sees it and he can do it. We've learned that believing in God and seeking him earnestly is part of faith. Hebrews 11, 5, 6 says, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Do you believe that God is? Do you believe in Him? Do you believe that He rewards those who diligently seek Him? Yes. Amen. We know that our faith is in the triune God. Our faith is not in ourselves. It's not in our money. It's not in our skin color. It's not in our culture. It's not in our pastors. And it's not even faith in faith. It is faith in the Almighty God. Right? So our faith is in the triune God. And although we're not perfect and our faith may waver in a moment of crisis, the God we believe in is perfect and never falters. He never falters. What we've learned about this is all of these people in Hebrews chapter 11 were just normal people. They made mistakes, didn't they? None of them were perfect. They were characters. They were people who Who had some colorful past. They made some poor decisions and yet God was faithful to them. It wasn't about their ability to be faithful. It was in God's ability to be faithful. God is a good, good God. And today we're going to talk about someone else in this chapter. We're going to talk about Sarah. Sarah. Let's read Hebrews 11 verses 11 and 12. we, we hear about the story or read about the story of Sarah and Abraham primarily from Genesis chapter 11 through 21. And, and I want to talk very quickly, give you a snapshot of Sarah's life in a nutshell. It says, first we find out she was a trusting wife. We find out that she was an, an exceptional beauty. That she was complicit with her husband in a couple of things he lied about. We're going to talk about the Hagar incident. And we're going to talk about the fact that Sarah was a practical woman. She laughed at the thought of having a baby at their advanced age. And then she laughed with joy when God's promise became true. All right. So we're first introduced to Abraham and Sarah. They had the names Abram and Sarai. But God changed their names in the course of the story. In fact, we find out later in In Genesis 17, why he changed their name. Abraham means father of nations. And Sarai means princess. But Sarah means princess as a title. So she went from being my princess, like you might call your little girl, to being the princess or the queen of a people. Look at Genesis 17, verses 15 through 17. It says, that God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? So we find out Something very important about Sarah, and that was she was barren. She was barren her entire, uh, her entire life up until this point, right? And I'm sure that she had called out and asked God for a child because you understand that was something that she was expected to do. She married a prominent leader. She was expected to give him a son, And so she called out to God. She waited for that to happen, and it never happened. Year after year after year, she prayed, she believed, and it still wasn't happening. 25 years go by from the time Abraham first heard he was going to be the father of many nations to the time when God actually moved. I want you to think about that. We know that Sarah was a trusting and submissive wife. And how do we know that? Because the Bible tells us so. You remember that uh, God appeared to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to go from your father's house. And I want you to go to a place that I will not tell you. And Abraham did. He took his wife and his servants and his cattle. And he, he left. He went to a place where God was going to show him. And Sarah went with him. And we also know that it says in 1 Peter that Sarah was the example of a beautiful woman who found her beauty not in her adornment, but in herself. In other words, it wasn't about her Botox, her jewelry, her clothes, her hair. She was beautiful, yes, but it was about something else about her that made her beautiful. And also we find out that she was submissive to her husband, and it says that she would not fear. She wasn't a fearful woman. She simply submitted to her husband. So we see that there are a lot of things about Sarah that are appealing. When we first meet her in Genesis 11, she's 65. 65 years old. She's 10 years younger than her husband. Now, Sarah died at the age of 127. So if you consider that that is like our lifespan, we, you know, we may pass around 80 or something, I don't know, then really Sarah was middle-aged. She was like the equivalent of our 40, and she was a beautiful woman. In fact, what we find out is that Abraham ends up going to Egypt with his family, and he's afraid that Pharaoh's going to kill him and steal his wife because she's so beautiful. And so he convinces Sarah to lie and say that she's his sister. Sure enough, Pharaoh does take Sarah into his home. And even though Abraham didn't protect his wife, even though Abraham didn't step up, God did. God sent a plague on Abraham's household. Not Abraham, on Pharaoh's household. And and Pharaoh was so upset by all this, he went to Abraham and he said, why did you lie to me? And he had Sarah and Abraham escorted out. Of the territory. Why? Because Pharaoh knew he had done something wrong. He had crossed the line. He didn't want any part of that. So even though Abraham wouldn't protect his wife, God stepped up. And maybe this was the first time that Sarah had sensed God's protection like that. Maybe it was the first time she'd really realized that God was 100% for her and had protected her and done what was good for her. You know, the fact that uh, she was barren uh, was problematic for her because, um, like I said, she was the wife of a a prominent leader. But even more than that, God had appeared to Abraham four times saying, you're going to be the father of many nations. You're going to have a lot of descendants. He did it in chapter 12 of Genesis. In chapter 13, he appears again, and he talks to Abraham. And this time he says, you know what? Your descendants are going to be as many as the sand on the seashore. And then again in chapter 15, God tells him, you're going to have so many descendants. Look up. Look at the sky. It's going to be like the stars of the heavens. And then again in 17, God tells Abraham that. But it wasn't until chapter 15 that it says Abraham believed, which means that twice God told Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham, it doesn't say Abraham believed. But that third time, somehow Abraham was beginning to get it. And it says that he believed and God counted it or credited it to him as righteousness. And the next thing you know, we have the Hagar incident. Now, this is what I imagine. I imagine Abraham going home, and he's sitting there, and he's talking to his wife, and he says, by the way, I'm going to be the father of millions. I'm going to, as many as the stars in the heavens, and you can imagine Sarah sitting there thinking, I'm barren. What is he talking, how's this? How is this supposed to happen? Can you imagine the pressure that she felt? I just want to be honest with you. At this point in time, culture did not favor women. They were marginalized. Sarah, I'm sure, felt marginalized. She married Abraham. She was taken from her sense of security, his home. She went to a place where she didn't know where she was going. Now she's married to this man. She finds out that he's supposed to be the father of nations. She's unable to bear children. And now this thing is ramping up. There's more and more pressure. And you know what? Sarah did what we often do, which is she decided she was going to help God along. She was going to help him. She was going to help him out, you know, manipulate the situation, do her own thing, try to bring about what she knows God wants. And we do that same thing sometimes. God tells us something, or we get this idea of something that's going to happen down the road, but we can't wait on God. Instead, we try to make it happen. And we, we do things that get ourselves into a mess. And then it doesn't work out, and we're mad at God. Even though we got ourselves in that spot, what's tragic about that is, I don't know if you realize that some people stop believing that God is moving in their life at that point because everything goes south and they're like, what happened? And they stop believing in God. But it was them that did it. They refused to wait on God and they were suffering the consequences for it, but they didn't want to accept the consequences. We don't want to do that. We don't want to blame God and turn from him because of our own foolishness. So this is what she did. She went to Abraham. She said, hey. Hey, babe. I've got an idea. You know Hagar, my Egyptian maidservant. Why don't we have a baby through Hagar and we'll raise them as our own. And then you can go on with this thing that God has called you to do. Abraham said, all right, let's do it. Now, what could go wrong with this plan? Sarah introduces her young, fertile maidservant to her aging husband. And she assumes that this is all going to be fine. Uh, There's not going to be any weird feelings anywhere. You know, she convinces herself, this is normal. What will happen is that Hagar will give birth to the child on my lap, which was the custom. This is how they did this. That child will become my child. And then I'll raise him as my own. And, you know, just because the mom, the biological mother, is in the house, I mean, it'll be completely normal. We'll get along. She'll just fade into the background. The kid will look just like me, even though I'm not his mother. It's all going to be great. No, she rationalized the whole thing. Why? Because that's what we do when we're trying to get things to work out. When we're trying to manipulate things, we begin to rationalize it. Of course, it did not go well. And sure enough, when she began to have these weird feelings about Hagar, saying, Hagar despises me, she goes to Abraham and she says, how did you let this happen? (laughs) She does. You should read this story. She literally says, this is your fault. How did you let me do this? And you know, that is so relatable, isn't it? That's what we do. When we make mistakes, we have to blame it on somebody. Certainly couldn't have been our fault. So she tells her husband, you know, this is your fault. And the question is, why did Abraham let her do that? Where was his leadership? God was holding him responsible, not her. Listen, man, I want to tell you something. Passive leadership is no leadership at all. The reason you're not stepping up and leading is because you want plausible deniability. You want to be able to say, if things go south, you want to say, hey, it wasn't my idea. I didn't do this. But we need to step up and be leaders in our own household. So Sarah decides, I'm going to put Hagar out of the house. And Abraham said, you do you, do what you need to do. But once again, God intervened and had Hagar and the child, Ishmael, come back to Abraham's household. For 13 years, Sarah watched Ishmael grow up into a young man. And every time she looked at him, she, she must have thought, I'm barren. This is not my son. It was a reminder of Hagar and Abraham. Now before you criticize her, remember... She was aging. She was past the age of childbearing. And she was barren. She didn't know what she was supposed to do. She was living with what she thought was failure. And she was a woman marginalized by society and culture. And I want to tell you something right now. God specializes in touching the lives of people who feel marginalized. He's been doing it throughout centuries, and he's still doing it today. He is still doing it today. He has a special place in his heart for the poor and the downtrodden, the widows and the orphans, the people groups that have been pushed down, the slave, the leper that no one would touch, Jesus touched. The one with the withered hand, he noticed, the blind beggar he reached out to, The woman that polite society scorned, he forgave. The prostitute, the beggar, and the tax collector. Remember that Jesus' birth was announced to the poorest of the poor, the shepherd. And when he rose again, the first person that he appeared to was a marginalized woman. If you find yourself feeling less than someone else, If you need love and acceptance and you need a miracle that only God can do, then you are uniquely positioned for God to move in your life. Come on. Genesis 18, 9 through 15 reads. Oh, let me preface this before I read this passage. So three men show up at Abraham's tent and he doesn't realize it but it's a theophany. It's where God takes a human form. You may call it a Christophany. He takes a human form and Abraham does not realize that he's dealing with God until this moment. It says, Then they said to him, Where is Sarah your wife? And so he said, Here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid, and he said, No, but you did laugh. So she lied to God right there. And God was just like, I know. You did laugh. Hey, listen, we do that too. Here's the thing. Like God says something to us and sometimes our first response out of our mouth is denial. Like, you know, like when the Holy Spirit convicts you of something or the Holy Spirit says you treated that person badly or you shouldn't have said that or your attitude's wrong or whatever. And the first thing out of your mouth is, no, I didn't. No, no. It's like that little kid, right, who gets caught doing something wrong and they're like, no, it wasn't me. I didn't do it. The first thing out of our mouth. But of course, God knows her heart. He knows your heart. And it cracks me up because I, I see Sarah eavesdropping inside the tent like any good wife would do. And, uh, you know, Abe's outside. He's talking to these three guys. And, and she's like doing whatever she's doing. And she's got one ear tuned in. And she hears Sarah. Is gonna have a baby by this time next year, and she laughed. Now we don't know if it was a laugh of denial, like she like a laugh of disbelief, or if it was just like, oh my gosh, are they crazy? Right? Like, we don't know exactly, but whatever reason she laughed right then, we know she did have faith to have a child because it says so in Hebrews chapter eleven. But at at that point, she laughed. God said, "Why is Sarah laughing?" And I just picture her sticking her head out the tent saying, I didn't laugh. (laughs) He's like, no, you did. You laughed. God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? What a question. What a question to be asked by God himself. Challenging. Our very thought and the makeup of who we are as a believer. Do you believe in me? Do you believe me? Is anything too hard for me? Sarah was confronted with that truth. What's interesting is that the original language here indicates when Sarah said, you know, I'm too, uh, am I to have pleasure, this pleasure? She wasn't just talking about am I to have the pleasure of having a child. She was actually saying, are are my husband and I actually going to have intimacy at this point? In other words, it had gotten to the point where they were way past that point. Right? Abraham was 100 years old. And she was 90. And she was like, man, this, this is just not possible. It's just not possible. She couldn't. Believe it, she couldn't get her brain wrapped around it. Now, I want you to think about the impossible thing in your life and compare it to this. Here's Sarah. She's 90 years old. Her husband is impotent. He's 100 years old. She's been barren her whole life. And God is saying, you're going to have a child. Impossible. What is your impossible thing? Is it finances? Is it your health? Is it a relationship? Is it the calling on your life that you keep waiting for some sort of breakthrough? What is it in your life that you're feeling like is impossible? It's not more impossible than this. It's not. This indicates that Abraham and Sarah were going to have to have faith to even try to take the next step to conceive. I picture two old people. You know, they've been talking about the fact that God said they were going to conceive, and they're sitting at dinner, and they're eating their falafel and hummus. (laughs) And they're looking at, they look up at each other awkwardly every now and then and look back down, because they're thinking, "Are we really going to try this thing?" After all this time, are you kidding me? (laughs) Kind of giggling, chuckling a little bit like, like, you know, they're school kids. They had to have faith to even, they had to be willing to put themselves out there even to believe at this point. Do you understand how impossible the situation was? How often do we miss out on seeing God move Because we are too prideful to even take a simple, humbling step of obedience. What has God been calling you to do, but you're embarrassed or prideful or nervous about just taking some simple step because you think it's beneath you or it might embarrass you or it might be too hard for you. And God is saying, step out. Step out and trust that I'm there. I see Sarah being willing to put herself in a vulnerable situation, and possibly embarrassing to see the plan of God unfold. Guess what? She conceives. She conceives and has a son named Isaac. And in Genesis 21:6, we see that her expression of disappointment is turned into a laugh of victory. Before she laughed maybe out of disappointment, but now she's laughing out of victory. It says, and Sarah said, God has made me laugh and all who hear will laugh with me. In other words, the people that she thought were laughing at her, maybe they were happy, maybe she felt like they were happy because she was unable to conceive, now would be laughing with her because they were so joyful in what God was doing and had done. The message for believers in the book of Hebrews for us today is to endure through faith, to endure good old fashioned endurance. I want to tell you that it seems like today there are so many people who give up so easily. We we encounter a little bit of resistance. We encounter a little bit of a hardship and we're willing to throw our hands up and just say, forget it. It's too much. I mean, today, I don't know if you realize that people don't even want to put out the effort to to learn things that people in the past have taken years to learn. People who have studied their whole life to play the piano or guitar or something, they take them their whole life to become good at it. Now people pick it up, and in, in the first hour or two, if they don't get the hang of it, they think, I'm not a good piano player. I'm not a good guitarist. And they never pick it up again. People who encounter resistance with with a relationship just throw their hands up and say, you know what, it's over. I'm just going to get a divorce because this is no fun. It's almost like we have become uh, so accustomed to the quick, the easy, the instantaneous that we don't realize that things that are really valuable often take a great amount of cultivation and a great amount of endurance. And that there's great benefit and pleasure derived from going the long haul. That there's victory involved in just hanging in there and putting one foot in front of the other and you take another step And sometimes when you cannot even take a step, the victory is just in standing. And sometimes you can't even stand and you find yourself on your knees in prayer. And that in itself is a victory. But we endure. We press on. It's not just how we start the race. It's how we finish the race and it's all the steps in between. And when we waver and when we get tired, you know what? God is still there. When we fall, the righteous get up again. And we continue to press on. We endure through faith. The, the people that we see in Hebrews chapter 11, many of them didn't see the culmination of their Their promise answered. You know, uh, it's funny because Sarah and Abraham actually did see the beginning of the promise. They saw Isaac. Isaac was born and that was part of the promise, but it was just the beginning of it. It was the tip of the iceberg. Remember what the promise was, that Abraham would be the father of many. As, as numerous as the stars in the heavens, they didn't see that part of the promise. They just saw the beginning of it. They saw that the tip of the iceberg, and it's the same with us. So many times we get a promise of God. We want that instant. We want it all. We want to see the big answer. We want it all revealed. We want to know how it's going to happen. And God just gives us a little step at a time, and then we begin to see progress That's not what we want. We want it all now. We're like Veruca Salt on Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory. I want it now. Right? We're like that. We're just like, I'm a little kid. I'm a little brat. I just want everything, and I want it right now. And God's like, no, the promise is there. Endure. Press into him. And guess what? Look at heaven. Heaven is like that for us. Heaven is an eternal thing. It is a promise. We don't have it in our hand right now. But we know we're saved and we experience the little bits of it. We experience it in worship. We experience it in the word. We experience it in our quiet time. We even experience it in the eyes of our little baby and our grandbabies. We look into those little lives and we're like, oh God, you're amazing. Little, little bits of eternity that we get to glimpse. But finally, someday, we're going to live in it. We're going to live there. Yeah, and we're going to see God's promise revealed to us. Look at this scripture in Hebrews eleven thirty nine. It says, And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith... Did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so we see here Jesus being used as our example of someone that was willing to endure persecution, endure torture and death. He was willing to do that. Why? For the joy set before him that we would all be reconciled unto God. It was worth it to him to go through that. And the call for us as believers is to endure with Jesus through persecution through whatever comes our way. We shouldn't be drawn off course by discouragement. We shouldn't be drawn off course by apathy. Do you know what apathy is? It's indifference. It's that idea that, you know what, I just don't care anymore. I don't care about anything. I don't care about church. I don't care about about God. I don't care about the Bible. I don't care about prayer. I don't care about my family. I, I just don't care. And the world is... Is, is drowning under the weight of apathy. And God wants us to be fully alive in Him. He wants us to be alive and to live a robust life that's full of love and care for one another. Love and care for Him. Love and care for you, for each other. That we would know each other. We would have a relationship together. We would have accountability with one another. We would eat food with each other. We would know the names of each other's kids. We would spend time in each other's homes. We would not be apathetic, it would be just the opposite. We would be empathetic. We would be feeling what others feel. We would care about one another. We shouldn't be drawn off course by the deceitfulness of sin. You know that feeling that comes over us that tells us, go ahead, just do what feels good because right now it's going to be fun. And who cares what happens after that? Has that lie ever come to you? Has that thought ever come to you? Just just give in. Just give in to this. That's what the devil wants us to do. Hebrews 3 says, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. In departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Do you know why I believe the enemy doesn't want us to know one another? Do you wanna know why I think he wants us to stay separate and to be apathetic towards each other? Is because then we can't hold each other accountable, we can't encourage each other to righteousness. Do you know why we have a home group ministry in this church? so that you can't come to a medium-sized church like ours and get lost in the crowd. The idea is that you would actually know people and that they could get in your face a little bit and say, how you doing? How you treating your wife? So we could get to know one another and say to that little kid, why are you speaking to your mom like that? So we could talk to one another. We could encourage each other on the path of righteousness. Hebrews is telling us that Jesus is the better way. It's not our way. It's not the world's way. It's not the way of common psychobabble, but Jesus is the better way. John 14, 6. Yeah, come on. John 14, 6. Says Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Yeah, I want to tell you right now, the only way to God the Father, the only way to heaven, the only way to happiness, the only way to fulfillment is through the better way, Jesus Christ. It's the only way. And I want to ask you this morning, I want to ask you if you have made a decision to give your life to Jesus to surrender your heart, to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Have you made that decision? Because you can do it right now, this morning. What the word of God tells us is that God so loved you that he sent his son to die for the forgiveness of your sin, that if you believe on him and if you surrender your life to him, that he will save you, forgive you, cleanse you. And it's as simple as as surrender. It's as simple as asking him. It's as simple as believing and asking him. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you, Lord, for Your word. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, for the truth that you love us. You love people. You want to be reconciled. And I pray, Father, that right now, by your Spirit, that you would draw any here that have never made that decision to follow you, that you would draw them they would kneel at your feet, surrender their lives to you. This morning, if you are ready to say a prayer, to give your life to Christ, if you're ready to make that decision. Would you lift your hand up right now so I can pray with you? Is there anybody here? It says, Pastor Jim, that's me. I know I need the Lord, and I surrender. I see your hand. Is there anyone else? Pastor Jim, I'm ready to pray. I'm ready to give my life to God. Believers, I'm asking you this morning. I'm asking you if you need to recommit your life to Christ. You need to lay aside apathy. You need to lay aside the deceitfulness of sin. You need to lay aside discouragement and embrace all that he is. The robust life that he's called you to live one of surrender and faith. If that's you, would you lift your hand up? Is there anybody here? Says Pastor Jim, yeah, pray for me. I see your hands. I see your hands. Thank you. Anybody else? we come to you right now I thank you for this one that's raised their hand to receive you as our personal Lord and Savior oh God fill them God I pray that you would change their life in a powerful way transform them for these believers who've raised their hand, saying they want to recommit their lives, God. I too want to recommit my life to you, God, to follow more fully after you, that the deceitfulness of sin or discouragement or apathy would not be allowed to discourage us or to Uh, fill our minds and our lives God that we would reject those things and we would embrace fully your spirit embrace fully your word embrace your plan that we would surrender completely to you God fill us up Lord we pray do a work in us by your spirit